Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to Connex. I am Randy Frisch. I've got Anna Arak here with me, and we're going to tell you all about the episode that we recorded this past weekend. And I was a little bit nervous about this one, I'm going to admit, because we decided, Anna, to bring a salesperson in to talk about marketing and content. And I was like, oh, are people really going to work the way I envisioned it in my mind? And I actually thought it worked pretty well. Like I thought we were able to hear from a guy who's had to figure out messaging on sales and actually learn a lot from that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You literally brought the salesperson to the party. <laughs> but no, David is great. So David from Cerebral Selling was with us and I really enjoyed it. And he touched on a lot of great stuff about how you know, when people talk about salesperson, they have this image in their head of, you know, like the really just sort of skeezy, grimy method of sales. And, you know, it doesn't... The used car salesman. Yeah, I well... Pretty much what it comes down to. I mean, I feel bad. There's probably a lot of used car salesmen out there that really hate that term. So, you know, I'm trying to be equal here. But yeah, no, exactly. It's really funny. I was, uh, I was getting my car serviced a few weeks ago. And I was at the car dealership and I'm waiting and I was waiting near one of the sales guys desks. And there was this, I guess you'll call it a call to action where if you bought a car this month, he was going to give you a free Casio digital watch. And it was like the one with the calculator on it and everything. And, and I, is it 1989? It is amazing. I actually took a photo of it. I'll send it over to you. It was it was modern day, but what it was amazing was this guy won the 2017 prize for best salesperson in the office. So those Casio watches must be doing something for him. But anyways, I, I, I digress. I'm intrigued. I know. It was it was pretty pretty comical. Um, I had to show my son what like it used to look like before the Apple Watch. But nice. Anyhow, you know, with with David, he is he's a been there, done that guy in terms of yeah. you know, building companies. How he's been involved in three really really successful exits, including IPOs and sales to companies like Salesforce. And he's had to build that messaging that us as marketers work with and we pass over to sales teams and we hope that they're going to execute. And I think we, I personally learned a lot just from David on this episode. And I think, uh, you know, there's a, you know, the big takeaway that I, I kind of come with is that we really have to make sure that we we make it smooth, as he put it. You know, the messaging gets so convoluted sometimes. But on the flip side, we really have to listen as the audience um, when we're when we're creating that that messaging to say, is this going to resonate at the end of the day? Yeah, and I he gave so many really really good tips here about how to sell in just the best ways possible about, you know, empathizing with customers and how to do that and how to do that quickly and easily. You know, again, we talk about on the episode how people kind of throw the word empathy around a lot. And we think we might be doing things that show empathy towards our our users and our audiences. But at the end of the day, we're really not. And he kind of helps point that out. So um, I think, you know, before we get too much more into what David had to say, I think that we should just let him sort of say it himself. What do you think, Randy? Let's do it. All right, let's bring David in.
Welcome to Connex, David. Thank you so much for joining us. And this is a cool one for me because we've started to work together outside of the podcast. And then I kind of felt like in all this back and forth that we've had going with you being a sales trainer and coming in to help us tell better stories on our teams and really make sure that that message that our marketing teams are working on gets translated down to our sales teams. I figured, why don't we actually turn this into a podcast? And it's, it's sometimes a shame because we've had so many conversations together that could have been podcasts, but now we're doing it. Great, great to have you here. Maybe you can give people your background that goes through all the startups you've been with and things like that in you know a two minute kind of you know rundown here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thanks for having me, Randy. It's great to be with you here today. Yeah, I mean, so I started my career over 20 years ago as a research scientist of all things, and it's actually a kind of point of contention for me as someone who spent the last long time in a career of sales that I loved that more people don't get, get into sales on purpose. You know, people don't become doctors by accident or lawyers by accident, but we all end up in sales mostly by accident. And so uh, for me, I started my career as a research scientist and really the kind of the underlying principle there was just curiosity, just intensely curious about the world around me. I was the kind of kid that would take my mother's vacuum cleaner apart and try to figure out how it worked and got into sales by accident. Like I said, in the turn of the dot-com boom, joined a startup and realized that the world of sales and marketing and messaging and all the things we're going to talk about are, are, are it's like a system. It's so amazing. It's so intricate. It's so, um, it evolves so much. And so for me, I found that sales was almost like science and engineering, which was my background. And uh, that really interesting thing about selling was that there was the nuance of not just the science of like, okay, well, what messages will land and which ones are the most compelling and which ones do people respond to, but there was the human piece. There was the empathy, right? There was the, the sales psychology, which was new to me and amazingly fascinating. So I just fell in love with the sales profession and have been really grateful to have amazing experiences over the last 20 years. I've uh, been a part of four startups, uh, one act, uh, three, Two, there was three of those startups were acquired. One uh, had an IPO. Third one, which I helped start in 2008, was acquired by a company called Salesforce, uh, which most people are familiar with, and got to work there for five amazing years, um, expanding my understanding of what it means to build a sales machine at scale. So um, I love sales. I'm a, a huge sales uh, advocate, um, and especially an advocate for the the modern sales professional, the kind that is a top performer but has tremendous empathy uh, for their customer and is really uh, tactical and scientific about how they use their knowledge to break through. So I decided what better way to uh, to explore that passion than to to teach and learn the art, continue to learn, but, but teach the art and science of modern selling. So um, I started a company called Cerebral Selling, and here we are. Amazing. And and I love, first of all, that is a great intro. I think anyone who started off being like, I'm a marketer, do I need to listen to a sales guy? This is not a sales guy, everyone. This is someone who tells stories and helps with that. And one of the things that I love about some of the companies that you were with, like Ripple that you touched about is, you know, it, you had to go in and sell a new state of how people should think about things. You had to sell disruption. You had to sell a changing of the guard, if you will. And maybe you can tell us some of the ways that you think about doing those things. So how do you think about creating these new categories? Because I think a lot of marketers who are tuning into this are saying, how do I take these ideas and help build our movement? For sure. Well, see, here's the here's the way I kind of think about messaging. Messaging to me is like the clothes that we put on every day. And oftentimes we you know, we get dressed, we look at ourselves in the mirror before we go out to our fancy party or outing wherever it is, and we look at ourselves and we say, "I look good." 
right? I look good. I'm dressed appropriately. I, I lo- I'm looking good. And then I go out to wherever I'm going and I realize that I'm dressed completely inappropriately for the kind of venue, right? And that's, for most of us, that's our messaging. So we start a company and we're out there to change the world and we have this amazing idea. And it's all very clear in our head what that idea is, right? But then when we go out and we try to tell that story, most of us tend to fall flat, and we tell that story inconsistently, and that story evolves as the company grows, but it's not always told in the most compelling fashion so that everyone else can understand it. Unfortunately, these companies, these ideas are our babies, but the rest of the world spends a fraction of a percentage of a time caring about what the heck it is we do. I, I often call that game broken telephone. My kids love it. I don't know about yours, but like you start with one idea, and by the end of it, you're like, what in the world are we saying? You know, like, how did that even happen? It's true. And part of the challenge is that it's not just um, outside the company where like, oh, we're all very clear inside the company what our mission is. But then outside, we just have, we're challenged. It's sometimes we're unclear on the inside, right? What it is, because it keeps evolving. And then, you know, if we're not clear, you know, here's a little test for those of you in sales and marketing, go to some of the key people in your organizations and ask them this simple question. What do we do? What do we do? And see what they say. You know, the question is, would everyone say the same thing or close to the same thing? My experience is that, unfortunately, we don't. So what are some of your recommendations for getting some people on the same page? So obviously, everybody in an organization is contributing to sales in some way, shape, or form, I think, whether people kind of realize that. And first off, do you think most people out there realize that they are salespeople, even if they don't have an official sales title? So I don't think that they do. And, and one of my favorite books that touches on exactly that point is Dan Pink's book. Uh, it's called To Sell as Human. And it talks about that, you know, when you ask people, hey, are you in sales? Very small fraction of people admit that they are, and they, unless it's their vocation and they are actually in sales. But when it's posed in a different way, you know, what would, would you say that a large percentage of your job is, uh, involves moving people from one position to the next, most people would say yes. So I, I you know, I, I have the data, I guess, through Dan Pink that says, yes, we are all in sales, but we all don't necessarily realize it. So the other thing that I love and connected to that thought is the very first thing when people go to cerebralselling.com is the headline of ever wonder why most of us don't like talking to salespeople. So what is it about us and even psychologically where we don't identify with being salespeople or we don't even like talking to salespeople? What's sort of that defining factor that you found? Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, I can ask that question in a in a group. I mean, I do sales training. I'll stand in front of 50, 100 sales reps and say, who likes talking to salespeople here? And very few people will raise their hand. And unfortunately, it's because we've had a negative experience with a sales professional at some point in our lives. You know, it, unfortunately, those of us in sales, we're all outrunning. We all live in the shadow of the ghost of the used car salesman, the sleazy used car salesman that existed in a different time. This was a time where, um, as Dan Pink says, information asymmetry existed, meaning we as sellers had more information about the product we were selling than the buyer. And there was no way that the buyer could get that information. So if I was going to sell you a jalopy, but you know, it was all you know, nicely shined up, you would have no idea. And so we've all had those experiences. And so that's kind of you know, why we have that perception. The other thing is those kinds of salespeople, unfortunately, are still out there. You know, they're out there and sometimes we think of them in car dealerships or clothing stores or, you know, even in our modern selling selling environment, these people exist and we've all had those negative experiences. And so whenever we interact with a sales professional, and this is for us or our customers, 
we're always thinking, we always start with that initial bias that they're one of the bad ones. They're one of the bad ones, right? And we're looking for evidence that they're not. So the, the role of the modern seller is actually very, very tough. It's not only just to execute, but it's almost to convince their buyers, their prospects that they're one, of, they're one of the good ones and they have to demonstrate that with their actions. It's so funny too, because, you know, everything that you just described, it's, it's funny because it's still, you're right. It's still so out there sort of, you know, people still shouting these marketing messages and, and still kind of reiterating some of these things that people don't want. You know, you see this with the rise of ad blockers and, you know, people complaining about like full page takeovers that when you land on a page, you know, it kind of slams the content down and it distracts you from what you were doing. And I love one of the messages you have is really about, you know, incorporating empathy. So how do you get people to empathize with customers? Because I think that word gets thrown around a lot. And I think people think that they're empathizing with their audiences, but how can people actually really empathize with their audiences? Yeah. So there's one tactic and it's, and it's very, very simple. Um, and I'll tell you the tactic and I'll, I'll explain the rationale behind it, but it's very simple. If you're in sales and you're asked to do something, or you're thinking about doing something. I'm going to reach out to a client. I'm going to send them this email. I'm going to make the phone call. I'm going to use this message. Stop and ask yourself, if someone used that on you, would it work? Right? And for most of us, the answer is no, it wouldn't work. It's, it's kind of funny. I know a lot of comedians talk about this joke where we behave differently as humans when we're in our cars you know, we'll do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. We'll yell at people and say things that we wouldn't ordinarily say. And for whatever reason, I feel like sometimes salespeople feel that that applies to them. Like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to send all these messages and email blasts and, and call people without context and bother them. We're gonna, I'm going to bother them. And that's okay because I'm in sales. They, they get that, right? Versus that tactic would never work on them. So the easiest way, I mean, there's lots of stuff we can get into, but the easiest way you want to know empathy Look what you're doing and see if that tactic would work on you, if you would respond to it. If the answer is no, then you're not doing it right. I love that. And you know what I want to get to next is this framework that you helped bring to my team of how to think about delivering that message so you, so you don't come off disingenuous, so that there is that empathetic approach where you're trying to solve for the problem on the other side. And we're going to take a break, but you know, if you're thinking about dropping off, like, let me tell you that you came in and you did this for our success team. Our marketing team actually filmed it for me. And then they were like, oh my God, why wasn't the marketing team here? But thank goodness we had it recorded. <laughs> so that's how much you're going to want to know because they played the recording over at Lunch and Learn. It's that good. All right. So we'll be right back here on Connex. TechSmith makes it easy to create professional videos and images. With tools like Snagit and Camtasia, everyone can create custom screenshots, screencasts, and videos. No experience required. Need to share campaign results with people who aren't familiar with what CTA, PPC, or SERP means? Use Snagit to capture results and share them out as screenshots and screencasts. Or need marketing videos but don't have a video production team? Camtasia is geared towards those who have never made a video ever before. Communicating with visuals like screenshots and video is seriously easy with TechSmith. Visit techsmith.com slash content experience to learn more. That's techsmith.com slash content experience. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with David from Cerebral Selling. Now, David, before we went to break, Randy was raving about some training that you did for Uberflip, and I'm intrigued. I would love to know more because uh, Randy said it was so good that they actually replayed it again as a lunch and learn, and everybody 
um, it just really resonated with them. So can you give us some sneak peeks into kind of what your framework was? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's kind of the overarching theme. So when we think about the messages that we deliver, again, I, I mentioned in our last segment, we talked about how sometimes in sales, we feel we have the right to act differently in a way that would not be consistent with how we would respond. And I feel sometimes that in marketing, we tend to do the same thing. We we conjure up these very elaborate and polished um, pitches and value propositions and statements, and we use words and terms that we would never use in real life when we were talking to someone else. And so, you know, the question is, how do we frame a message that is simple but instantly resonates? And the concept that I really, really um, love when you think about these messages are messages that go down smooth. Right? We're all very, very busy. We all insulate ourselves because there are so many messages out there and everyone's trying to get our attention. And so we kind of put up this protection bubble where if something doesn't isn't like the armor-piercing bullet of messages, it is not going to get through because we don't, we don't want to spend any time trying to synthesize and decipher what the heck it is you mean by your fancy, you know, highfalutin marketing message. And so, <laughs> no offense to any... <laughs> highfalutin marketing message. I love that. I'm going to work that into all of my decks going forward. Highfalutin marketing message. Because, <laughs> oh, this is, this is perfect. This is brilliant. You know, we, and we've all, we, we've all seen, you know, some of these messages. We've all worked at companies that have these messages. And, and sometimes you, you hear them and you're like, what the heck does that even mean? Right? People can't even figure it out. So the messages that I like are the messages that go down easy. It's like almost like, you know, you know when you go to the movie theater and you're eating popcorn and you, you start eating and you're like, oh, I'll just take a little kernel of popcorn. And then by the, you know, five minutes later, it's all gone. You're like, where the heck did that go? That's because it's your reptilian brain kicking in just saying, eat the popcorn, eat the popcorn. And the messages have to be the same way. Now, the, the good news is there's lots of science behind how we can get our um, simplifier message and how we can get it through. And I, I think of it in two parts. You know, the first part, is how do you architect the message itself? And then secondly, it's the delivery mechanism. Like, how are you kind of injecting it in? So, you know, when I think about how to make messages um, break through that armor-piercing bullet of a message, I think about messages that um, are polarizing, for example, right? When I make a statement, you will immediately, viscerally agree or disagree with that statement, right? And you will immediately find yourself on one side of that argument. So, for example... My third startup, which uh, Randy mentioned, was called Ripple, and uh, it was acquired by Salesforce. So the product doesn't exist anymore in that current form, but we were a, a, a what we called a social performance management solution. And essentially, we were a solution for companies who wanted lots of feedback, coaching, and recognition for their employees, but recognized that the tool that companies had typically used to deliver that feedback was called the annual performance review, which 80% of people statistically use the word hate to describe. And so we led with a polarizing message. We said, people hate performance reviews. Performance reviews don't work. We have a new way of driving the performance you're looking for in a way that people love. And so immediately with that message, I don't, you don't even know what it is. You will immediately say, I am either on the side of, yes, performance reviews suck, or I'm on the side of, no, 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 performance reviews are good. And that, may, that polarization helps you much more clearly and quickly understand what it is we do. So that's an, I mean, I can go into other examples, but that's an example. You have a polarizing belief statement that was delivered with high conviction. That's your armor piercing bullet of messages. Interesting. Well, and you immediately made it 
incredibly relevant to them as well. So obviously they were willing to take the time to pay attention, which is funny because Jay Bear always says relevancy magically creates time and attention. So even just speaking their language and empathizing with them on what they're going through, they immediately wanted to listen to you, which is super interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, our, you know, in the last company I worked with, was a company in Toronto called Influitive, and it was really all around advocate marketing. It was about this idea that, you know, in the future, people won't buy things from us because we bothered them until they did. You know, but the number one thing, the thing that we listen to more than anything else in the world when it comes to decision making is someone like us. Mm. And so, so the idea was to promote the authentic voice of these happy customers. But, you know, when, when you would go into a customer and you would start talking about what it is we do and we would say, hey, you know what, we believe that in the future, people will buy things from recommendations from people they know instead of salespeople who bothered them until they bought something. Am I right? Right. And the idea is if you can imagine your target audience, your target, you know, your target market, and imagine if they would be smiling and nodding, would they even laugh a little bit? You know, people hate performance reviews. We used to drop that bomb in HR conferences all the time. And of course, there's the chuckle, like, ah, meaning you're right. Right. And then from there, then you can start getting into the nuance of, okay, well, how do you do that? That's that's one mechanism. So that's the part, though, that I, I get worried about the most. Because I, I, as you put it, it's really, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's fun to figure out that big disruptive statement, right? Um, you know, we have ours at Uberflip. Um, you know, we use things like, you know, your CMS won't cut it, right? And, you know, people either agree or they don't agree, as you said. But the tricky part from there is where do you go from there? right? Like, let's say you're talking to someone with this conversation, or let's say you're marketing with it in some sort of direct message. How do you figure out that consistent, as you call it, storyline, you know, that flows from there? You know, is, is there is there other steps that, that you encourage people to follow? Yes, there are. So the other thing we talk about, the message is going down easy. A polarizing approach is is one of the ingredients. Then there's the delivery piece of it. And so there's a couple other tactics I teach. One is what I call the belief statement. And there's there's articles and videos about all this stuff on, on my website if you want to check it out. But like thinking about your product, your solution, starting from the standpoint of we believe. Start start saying we believe. At Uberflip, we believe. At the content experience, we believe that. And and don't mention your products or services directly. Tell the story of like, what is it that you believe? You know, we believe people should be able to get lots of feedback at work and know how they're doing so they can perform well in their jobs without being subjected to a horrible performance review, right? And you can start telling the story. And so you start with something that's very high conviction, very simple, and then you inject a formula. And the nice thing about formulas is, again, our brains are trained to take these formulaic stories and assimilate them very quickly. Perfect example are infomercials. I'm a huge infomercial junkie. I love infomercials. Don't usually buy anything off the infomercials, but... It's amazing to watch some of these because they are pieces of work. They're amazing. They're amazing. And the amazing thing is, you know, you would be watching these things at two in the morning sitting on your couch and you're like, eh, I don't need anything. And then then you're dialing. You're dialing and you're buying, you know, whatever it is they're selling. And the, they, there's a, a very simple formula. Again, I have an articles and videos on my website about, I call it the secret infomercial formula. And, uh, and they basically take you through this whole story of, you know, like, well, here's the big problem that exists in the world, and here's the best solution to the problem, and, you know, well, here's why that's tough, but we have a solution for that, you know, that, that, that is this new age thing. So I'll give you a, a very simple example. Um, 
let's say you had a uh, you were selling a piece of uh, ex- home exercise equipment on the infomercial, you may say something like, "Well, look, you want to lose weight and get in shape, right? Well, the best way to do that is to go to the gym five times a week and work out for three hours." The problem is that gym memberships are expensive and they're hard to get to, and then they insert their product, right? And you don't even know what the product is. It could be a pill. It could be a piece of equipment. It could be a blender. But you're leaning in. You're saying, yes, I do want to get get in better shape. And yeah, the gym sucks. That's that's where I, that's the ideal solution to tell me more, right? And so that's what I mean. It's 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 not always about pitching. Okay, here's what we do. And it's more about telling the customer a story about a problem that exists that they have that exists irrespective of your product or solution. And then lead them into, here's where we are. It's like this journey, the story about how you came to solve that problem. I love it. It's, you know, it's so funny. I think sometimes, you know, marketers have a tendency to really get caught up in how complex things can be and just how much messaging there is to convey. And I think what you've really proven with your framework is that it's not like that at all. It actually can be quite simple and just direct. And I think that's the beauty of your framework is it's really just looking at it a different way and taking sort of the unnecessary complexity out of it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it can be simple, but I would say it also has to be simple. Otherwise people won't spend the time. People don't have the time to acquiesce to your message. And, and what's even worse is that you know, the a number of solutions now that exist in each of the main, I mean, if even if we're talking about technology, you know, it used to be, you know, there's some statistics that say in 2011, there were 150 marketing technology vendors out there. In 2017, there were 5,000. So it's becoming increasingly difficult to differentiate. Everyone is kind of owning their little piece of the universe, and there's a whole lot of overlap. And so it's requ- it's a requirement today to really help your target buyer understand where you can add value and quickly. That's awesome. Well, David, I know that we are coming up on our time here, but I really think everybody out there, um, speaking of providing value, really needs to go to cerebralselling.com and check out all of your resources because you have a ton of blog posts, you have podcasts, you have videos, um, and they can continue sort of digging into all of the things that you've laid out here for us. If you wouldn't mind, we'd love for you to stick around and just get to know a little bit more about David on the personal side. Uh, We have a couple of questions for you, um, but we'll be back after this break to ask those. All right, David. So we got a couple minutes here. We always like to get to know our guests. And I feel like you and I have gotten to know each other through being in the same city. But also, I am now Instagram friends with you. So I get to follow every step of your moment. And one of the interesting things I found, and and you confirmed with me earlier, is that uh, you are a huge Disney fan. You were brave to take your kids to Disney a few weeks ago. I saw that. Uh, what does Disney mean to you? Like, wh- where did the the love come from it, and why are you so hooked? Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer that the product that you sell, whatever it is, the solution is just the tip of the iceberg. It's really the experience that your customer has with your organization. That's your product, right? And we all experience that when we go, let's say, to a restaurant and we say, well, the food was great, but the service was lousy. Or the food wasn't that great, but you know what? The environment, we were on the water, you know, there, it's the total package. That's what experience is. It's the total package. And I feel that Disney, more so than really almost any other brand that I've, I've experienced, 
really has a relentless focus on delivering that amazing experience to their customers. And, and the story, the thing that kicked it off for me, this was years ago when I was at Disney World with my kids. And you know, they have like, they have the parade every, um, every afternoon and it's like a big deal. And so my kids were really looking forward to this parade and they're kind of lined up along the side of the street in Main Street, USA. It's super hot. And my wife says, hey, why don't, why don't you get some ice creams for the kids? You know, I think they'd really enjoy that. So I'm like, okay, great. I'm fighting through all these crowds to, to get the ice cream. Of course, it's not really close to where I was. The parade's starting. <laughs> the whole, you know, the whole funness of the vacation is resting on my shoulders, I feel. I'm pushing through the crowds. I get the ice cream. I come back, give the ice cream to my kids. And, and one of my kids takes a couple licks of the ice cream and, like, it flops on the ground. I'm like, like, like almost like in slow motion, it was happening. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, there's no way I'm going back to get another one. And, you know, my daughter's crying and the whole thing. And so two seconds later, a Disney employee comes up to me and says, I'm sorry, sir. I saw what happened. Would you like me to get you another ice cream? I said, are you kidding? And they say, they said, they said, no, sir, it's, it's quite all right. We do it all the time. Wow. That's a, uh, that's a full experience. That's awesome. Isn't that crazy? Because they don't want you to have a bad time. They'll even, you know, if your uh, if your car battery dies in their parking lot, they have a whole auto service that will jump it for you. Even when I was waiting for like the Disney bus with my girls, and it was late at night, and they were tired, the the parking attendant with the reflective vest who's directing buses reaches into his pocket and pulls out these like plastic little Disney princess rings and offers them to my my kids. And so, I mean, that was that was just one trip. And I've, you know, I became a huge patron of Disney after that, and they have not, con- they have not disappointed in any respect. That that uh, experience is extremely pervasive across their whole organization, which is very, very impressive. Which is why I'm a lifelong fan. I feel like I got to get you to talk to my wife because I'm going to make my wife uh, to be like the Disney villain right now. But she is, she is anti Disney. Um, you know, her her problem that she struggles with is the people at Disney where they're a little bit too much for themselves versus their kids, right? Like it's, you know, and we were literally in line once. I've seen that. We were in line once and this kid, they were, we were in line to see a princess, of course. And this, this kid just was losing the patience. And the mother turns around and goes, this isn't about you. This is about me. And we were just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and you can tell it was about her, right? Like it, this was her dream to meet, you know, Ariel or whoever it was in the moment. But uh, but but listen, I am a Disney fan at heart. The movies, the experience, everything about it, and and I think you know it, it's this was this was a great episode. I think because I think your last analogy there and the getting to know you personally really ties into what you're you're trying to get salespeople and marketing teams to align on, which is the story, right? That that experience at every step is going to shape how people feel about your brand, how people feel about your product and what your reputation is out there in the market. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, finishing off on Disney, we're, we're all so enamored by it. So David, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this podcast. For those who are tuning in, you know, please listen to other episodes that we've got. You can find them at contentexperienceshow.com or you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, really anywhere you can find us. Also let us know what you're enjoying on these podcasts, what you want to hear more of. In the meantime, on behalf of Anarak at Convince and Convert, I'm Randy Frisch at Uberflip and David Premier has been really nice to stop by from Cerebral Selling today and reach out to him if you want to bring some of that into your organization. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. 
This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.